We're continuing a sermon series called Fearless, uh, where we are looking at the Advent story, specifically those moments when messengers of God or when God's voice uh, speaks to people and their immediate reaction is fear. And of course, we, we know that when we read scripture and we see uh, God's messengers encountering uh, people or when we see God's presence encountering people frequently, if not always, the very first thing that comes out of their mouth is what? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why is it that when God encounters us or when God's messengers encounter us in this story, our natural response is fear, especially a story that we know today is a really good story, but at the time was, was kind of a, a mind-altering, life-rocking kind of story that, that really changed people's lives. And so we're, we're talking through each of those little stories of, of fear and what they can teach us today. So today we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. If you've got your Bible with you, your Bible app. Uh, feel free to open up to Luke chapter 1, beginning of verse 5. Before we do that, Ray is going to pray for our, our scripture. Sure, let's pray. God, we are thankful for this story, and often it becomes such a familiar story, one that becomes redundant. But we pray that we could maybe see this scripture, this story with new eyes. Maybe we put ourselves in the shoes of the characters, that we would try to imagine what it would be like. But really that we would go into this time, especially with our ears open, to hear something new and different from you. We're so thankful that we do get to come to this story time and time again, as often as we want, to remind us of who you are and what you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so beginning, this is Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. So the very first four verses are him just addressing the people that he's writing this gospel to. This is how he begins telling the story of Jesus Christ, even though he doesn't start there, really. We'll, we'll find that out. It says this, during the rule of King Herod. Oh, let's see it on our screens. Um, yep. It's okay. I'm going to read it off the screens. Let's go off the screens. In the days of King Herod of Judea... There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. Are we going to... Sorry, guys, I don't have the next slide. Okay, I'm going to go off the script and we'll just have to listen. You have to listen to my soothing voice, okay? Um, I'll use my late night jazz. Hey there. During the rule of King Herod. No, no, um, no that's, that's weird. All right. During the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God, blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant, and they were both very old. So I want to stop here for a second. We're going to do that whole read and stop, read and stop, read and stop thing. So we're going to stop here. Uh, this is the way that Luke opens up his gospel, which is interesting, um, and I'm going to explain why. Um, so uh, put yourself in the shoes of someone hearing this gospel for the very first time. Let's say you're living sometime around the year 50 or 60 A.D., right? Um, you're living in the uh, area surrounding Jerusalem, in you know Nazareth area, maybe the Bethlehem area. Uh, the early church has begun to expand. But let's say you're living in, in a more Israeli kind of place. Um, and you're hearing the story begin. It's saying that in the land of Judea, which is you know the, the Jewish province, there was this priest named Zechariah, it's a good Jewish name, uh, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. So this is, he's a member of one of the 24 families, the priestly families. So this is a, 
This is a priest, right? And he's married to a woman named Elizabeth, another really good Jewish name, uh, who's a descendant of Aaron, who was once the high priest, you know, Moses' brother Aaron, right? So you got a priest from the family of Abijah married to the, a woman who's from the family of Aaron, which is like the great priestly family. And what's they are both righteous before God, this word that is used very, very rarely to denote someone who is really upstanding with their commandments, blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. And then it says they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant and they both were very old. Now, where have we heard a story about an older couple who were unable to become pregnant and then God showed up and brought them a child? Have we heard that story before in the Bible somewhere? Now, if you're a good Jew, you're nodding your head like this because it's like the big story. This is the story of Father Abraham, right? And this is the st- Abraham and Sarah and their, and their inability to have kids. And then through that pregnancy is blessed all of Israel, right? This is the like identity-based story for the Jewish people. And, and so you've got this priest married to the woman who's from a priestly family. And they can't have kids. And they're just like Abraham and Sarah. And in just a couple of verses, we're going to find that Zechariah is about to go to the temple, which is like the holy place of all holy places for the Jewish people. Do you understand the picture I'm painting for you? This is like the most Jewish opening to a story you could ever paint, right? It's okay. It's, like, it's, it's meant to be that. The author is making you, is being crystal clear. This is a super Jewish story, right? You got a priest and a priest who are just like Abraham and Sarah, and he's going to the temple, and God's going to meet him, right? Now, if you're listening to this story, what's, what's the story you think you're about to be told? It's a really Jewish story that it sounds as like for really Jewish people. And it, and it features really, really Jewish people. And, and something really good is going to happen in this really Jewish story. Who is that going to be good news for? Jewish people, right? <laughs> like The streamers watching online are like, Jewish people. Like, why is the room not saying anything? It's like Jeopardy. Yeah, Don't, why you know <laughs> I know the answer. The answer. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it, this is, sounds like a story that's going to be remarkably good news for Jewish people. And yet, if you know the Gospel of Luke... Maybe you don't. The Gospel of Luke is the gospel that tells the story of a Jesus who wrestles a lot with the church but finds himself pushed out to the margins. It's the Gospel of Luke that focuses intently on the people who are outsiders and misfits. It's the gospel where Jesus goes and, and he spends time with prostitutes and he spends time with tax collectors and he spends time with, uh, with lepers. And it's this, it's this sort of messier, outcast version of the gospel that Luke decides to tell. And in fact, it ends, the gospel of Luke ends when Jesus dies on the cross, the, the curtain in the temple that Zechariah is about to go to, it tears. And that's a big symbol that means God's presence is not in the temple like we thought it was anymore. God's presence has just exploded into the world. And then as soon as Jesus dies, a centurion, like the symbol of everything that's not Jewish, looks up at Christ and comes to faith. And then Luke continues into the book of Acts, which is is the book that comes after the four Gospels. It's essentially Luke part two. And it tells the story of the early church and how it explodes outside of Jerusalem. So I lift that up to say that, you know, the way that stories begin and end is really important. And Luke is a masterful storyteller because he starts us out with this incredibly Jewish story. And he sets us up to expect an incredibly Jewish story. And that's not what he's about to deliver. 
He's about to show us how this promise that began with Abraham and did come out of the Jewish people and is still for the Jewish people is going to be for so many more people. And the story you think you're about to hear is not the one you're about to receive. And when I was reading this this past week and as I was considering what does this mean for us, you know, how often have I looked at my life and I assume, based on how the beginning has gone or how the chapters or verses up to this point have gone, how often have I assumed I know how this story is going to end? And yet, a life of faith calls me to confess that I don't really know anything. I don't really know how my story is going to end. Whether I think that I'm in for some really good news or some really bad news, I don't really know where my story is going to take me because guess who's a part of my story? God. And guess who I don't get to have any control over? Thank goodness. It's God. And when God is a part of our story, it doesn't matter how much you think, oh, this, I know where this is going. There is a joy that comes in the life of faith. This theme of joy runs through Zechariah's story. There is a joy that comes from being surprised by the story that God weaves into our lives. And so this Christmas, I, I want us to not rob ourselves of the joy that comes from expecting there to be surprises in our story really good surprises because if i'm a non-jew hearing the opening of gospel of luke i'm thinking this doesn't have anything for me this this is not going to be good news for me and yet god's story is so full of good surprises and it plays off of our expectations what does it mean to expect to find joy in the surprises of god all right let's keep going all right. I, that's I'm, I'm, i could do like a whole sermon on that if you can't tell but that we're going to keep moving we're going to keep moving all right, let's pick it up. I just sped all over you. Sorry That's about that. That's good. It's good. I needed, it, my, it, it, my skin's dry. <laughs> okay. I needed that anyway. Uh, picking up in verse 8. One day, Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. Following the customs of priestly service, he was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and burn incense. All the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during this hour of incense offering. An angel from the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. So to go back uh, to what Scott was saying, uh, coming from this priestly family, and that he came from one of the 24 priestly families. So you can name the other 22. Yeah. No. Nope. No. It's uh, in. It's in. Uh, what would I say? First Chronicles twenty four. Look it up yourself. I don't need to do everything for you. So this was this was new to us as well. Like, oh, okay. We kind of figured everyone just you signed up for your your shift and yeah. you went in. Like yeah. you punched in. Like this a is caring your, bridge. Yeah. Um, you're just signing up for your shift. But that really it was kind of luck or however you want to look at it. That it was really a chance. So you kind of wait for a long time, hoping and praying. Gosh, I cannot wait until I get to go into the temple. Like, I hope I get to go. And remember, Zechariah is old. He's old. And so he probably part of him feels like, gosh, I hope I can go in before, before I'm gone. And so he's waiting, and then it's his time to go up. And so this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so, of course, he is very, very focused on all, all the little tasks maybe he has to do while he's in there the incense and all, and all the different things and knowing what to look at and, you know, all the rituals that you probably have to do that he's practiced probably at home. You know, when it's my time, I'm going to go in. Pastors, it's, like, we do this for fun. We practice, like, communion. Like, Reagan, I'll sit at home and just, like, play communion. Like, it's, mm. it's no, we super don't. fun. <laughs> um, but 
I can't. Some of them thought that was true for a second. They're like, my pastors are dorks. I mean, we Andy are. does. We, we are. Andy yeah, does. Yeah, Andy. It's the only toy she has. Yeah, it's a communion chalice. chalice yeah. It's great. <laughs> um, no, but I can relate to this because I think about uh, the first time that I was going to do a baptism or serve communion, how I was like, okay, I got okay. to make sure I know all the steps and I, I got to make sure that I say the right things and, okay, I do this and what will I do with my arms and how will I hand this off and how, like, if it's a baby, okay, I'm going to make sure I hold the head and, um, you know, like you get so caught up with all, again, all the steps and all the tasks that you kind of forget that God is part of it, that God is doing the work, God is there. And you, you forget to take joy in it too. Like one of the very first weddings I ever did, I forgot to have the couple kiss. Not a joke. Like they turned to me like, can we kiss? I'm like, oh yeah, you should probably do that at the wedding. I was about to send them back out. Yeah, yeah. that was a fun one. That was a fun one. Sorry, keep going. That just came to mind. But I think Zachariah, I think there was a part of him that was so consumed with doing things right that he forgot that maybe God was going to be in the temple, that God was going Mm. to show up. And so I think it's interesting that he's so startled and he's so overcome with fear when this angel appears. Because you would think, again, going back, Zachariah, very priest of family, very righteous, very well honored, all of the good things. You think that the first thing he would say, maybe when he saw an angel, would be something like, praise God. And it's not. He's shocked that God has shown up, that God is in this place. And so I love relating um, to Zachariah in that way, because I know what it's like to forget about experiencing God and hearing from God, because I'm so consumed with the steps and the tasks and the rituals of everything. And so I think I relate to Zachariah, and maybe you can as well, that sometimes we suck the joy out of following God. We suck the joy out of experiencing um, as we read scripture, as we are singing songs, or whatever you're doing, that sometimes we, we forget about it because we become so religious and not very spiritual. And maybe you've been in that place, like, um, I know for me, there was a big chunk of my time that I was such um, an avid reader of scripture. I I still read scripture. Um, But, (laughs) like, so I I, I couldn't do anything until I checked off, okay, I'm reading. So I literally have, like, a Bible read thing in a little box, and I would check what I would read that day. And it had to be a certain amount of time. And I had to do it before I did it anything and then I would journal and so I have these like baskets of journals in our house that Scott loves that we have to move every time we move houses he's like cool look at at all these journals do I look Um, excited when's the last time you looked at them never 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 Never. they make good kindling (laughs) but follow them up one page at a time Um, but I think and that was incredibly good time with God and I think I grew in amazing ways for a long time through that way but eventually it just became again something on my checklist and I didn't even get anything out of reading scripture if I'm being honest because I was so focused on okay what am I reading today okay I have to make sure I read to this verse that I just it's like I sped through it I didn't chew on it I didn't ask God okay what do you really want to say to me in this, I became so consumed with being religious that I forgot to kind of be spiritual. I, I forgot about joy. 
And so there was a time that I was like, I'm going to just not read right now, which is where C. Scott's like, you cannot tell them not to read their Bible. And I was like, no, just relax. I was like, you're going, what, in a sermon? What? <laughs> but I think I realized when there was a, maybe a lull in my day or when I felt like, oh, I really, I w- I'm feeling compelled to spend time with God. I got so much more out of it, when I, which sounds bad when you're like, well, I, I did it on my time. But there's a certain level of maturity when you realize, okay, when I feel like God is poking and prodding, that Holy Spirit is saying, I, I want to spend time with you. I've got something to share with you. you then you kind of stop. And maybe you read something or you sit and pray. And it's interesting this, this fall, because I've kind of struggled in my faith probably, I don't know. Seminary was really hard. And then coming out of that and then becoming a new parent, you know, you don't have hours <laughs> to just sit <laughs> and journal and read. Um, it gets hard. Yeah. And um, this fall, I can remember the date, September 9th, I was reading uh, out of my devotion book. And it's called Grace Notes by Philip Yancey, if any of you are looking for a really, really great devotion. And the word that was used when he was writing, it was talking about feeling estranged from God. And I just kind of grabbed hold of that word. And I still remember that. You know, it's December now, and I, I think about that because it made me re- go back to those stories of all the people in the Bible. And I didn't crack open my Bible and start looking. But I, w- I went back to that place where I remembered those stories. And I felt like I, I kind of feel like that sometimes where I feel estranged from God. But I keep looking for him. I'm trying. And for me, that gave me such great, great comfort. And so I think for us, for all of you, when you are, when you feel like you're not getting the most out of devotion time and or the most out of reading or whatever you do you're doing to kind of give yourself a break and find something that works and don't beat yourself up which it's funny we were talking about when we were talking about this yesterday how um john wesley (laughs) um you know methodism we got that from method because they would get up at like what five in the morning or four in the morning and they would do an hour of Hour of reading, hour of hour praying. Hour of reading, an hour of praying, an hour of, like, community time, you know. <laughs> I don't want to talk Ice to breakers. you at 7 a.m. Um, like, stop it. And so it's funny that Ice I'm thinking, breakers. like, we're not going to do that. I don't feel like that works for me. Um, but John Wesley realized it was years later that he, they call it the Aldersgate experience, where his heart was strangely warmed, that he'd been doing that method of getting up he was very religious. Very religious. He would be doing that for years, but he didn't feel like until that happened where he felt like he really experienced God for the first time. And so I would encourage you to find something that works. Maybe it's just getting a different translation of the Bible. I mean, that can do wonders. You think that's, oh, that really wouldn't help. But it does because yeah. you go back and read these familiar scriptures, and then you can really recapture joy um, and go into th- time saying, God, what do you really want to say to me? I want to expect, I want to, I want to go into this knowing that you're going to show up. So you're not saying, oh my gosh, you showed up, but you're saying, praise God, thank you so much yeah. for speaking to me. Yeah, that's a yeah. good word. That's a good word. Okay. Go. So then the angel said, it begins in verse 13 again, the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son and you must name him. And so remember, if you're listening for the first time, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be the Messiah, right? This is the Abraham and Sarah kind of couple, you know. He says, you will name him John. That's my dad. (laughs) You will name him John Welsh. No. (laughs) He will be a joy and delight to you. 
And many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn their hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So we've talked about what did the original audience expect. We've talked about what did Zechariah expect. Um, I want to stop here and talk a moment about what did the world expect from this John character, right? So if you don't know anything about the Bible, John the Baptist is what he'll become to what he will come to be known by, John the Baptist. Of course, Stan likes to say John the Baptizer so that the Baptists don't get any credit. Um, and uh, <laughs> didn't have denominations back then. So, um, so John was really, he was this sort of prophetic voice that was, was, there was a prophecy that there would be this kind of voice in the wilderness, as we say, that would go out before the Messiah and would sort of announce, kind of like how a herald would announce the coming of a king, right? It's all that same kind of imagery, that there would be this person, this prophet that would announce the coming of the Messiah, and that's what this angel is telling Zechariah, his son will be. Your son is going to be the one that announces the coming king, the coming Messiah, the one that everyone's been waiting for. And I love that this language uses, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth. Because that's probably the last time people would rejoice, John the Baptist, now, John, you know, at his birth. I mean, John the Baptist was a tough, fire and brimstone kind of preacher. You know, he, he went out, one of his very first talks he gives to people, he starts off by going, you brood of vipers! Uh, what if I got up here and started a sermon like that, right? I mean, I wouldn't last very long. And he, and he goes through and he tells them about everything that they're doing wrong, everything that they've, that they've messed up. And, and he's ta- preaching repentance, which who wants to be told to repent, right? Who wants to be told to change the way they're living? In fact, John the Baptist would go on. He would end up getting his head cut off. Uh, preschoolers in the back of the room. Oh, okay. Hey, preschoolers, how are you? You guys doing good back there? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Um, you know, he... he, he, uh, he, 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 he um, he had a rough go, preschoolers. Um, and, uh, and, and so, sorry, just saw him back there. Hey, guys. Um, that's kind of throwing me right now. So I got to cut that whole movement from the sermon. We're not going to go into that. Um, and so the point being, he was not very well liked, right? He, he wasn't asked back to preach again. Um, and it makes me think this week, it's Christmas time, right? Which is not just about presents, it's not just about Santa and about Christmas trees, and those things are wonderful, and I hope that, that all of us are able to find happiness this Christmas time. I really do. I hope that you have a happy Christmas. But more than that, I hope you find joy in the coming of Christ. And what I mean by that is this. When John the Baptist comes, the angel says he's going to bring joy. The angel does not say he's going to bring happiness. Because honestly, meeting the presence of God and being confronted by the presence of God is not a happy experience all the time. In fact, frequently we encounter the person of God in Christ and we realize that everything about our life has to change. And who feels happy about that? Who, who feels happy about being challenged? Who feels happy about being told to change? I don't. I quite like the way that I'm living. Thank you very much. And so um, I don't think that the angel is, I think the angel uses the word joy here for a very specific reason because it's not happiness 
that we really find in the Christ child at Christmas time. It's joy. It's the joy in knowing that God is with us. It's the joy in knowing that God has a better plan for us. It's the joy in knowing that God has a better story for us. It's the joy in knowing that everything really can change, and that is really good news, even if it doesn't sound like it upon first hearing. And so... um, As we prepare ourselves for this week, as we lead up to Christmas, um, I don't know if you're traveling next Sunday, this might be the last Sunday you're with us, I hope, I really hope that you find happiness, but more than that, I hope you find joy. And I hope that you encounter the presence of God in a real radical way. I hope that you expect to meet God again this Christmas, and I hope that that God meets you in a way that is both comforting and convicting, in a way that calls you to something better. And I hope that I, I get to experience that as well. So uh, I think that's a great place as any to end it and for us to, to pray and to go into our offering time because we do have some special musical guests in the back of the room. Thank you, Emily Fry. Um, we're, during today's offering, um, it's a, this is our time to respond to God by the giving of our gifts. And um, in addition to our general offering that we receive every week, uh, this week we also have our Christmas love offering. You should have seen one of these flyers in the back of the room. Um, you are welcome to pick one up as you go. Uh, if, if you would like to give the love offering, you can do that online and select the love offering, or you can give by check or, and, and put that in the memo line, love offering, or you can you know, put, if you want to give cash, you can put that in an envelope and write love offering on it. Um, there's so many things that our love offering goes to. One thing I love about our church is that we are involved in so many different missional outreach uh, agendas and initiatives, and so you can read about all of them here. But this is a if if you're looking for a place to to give an over and above gift at the end of the year, um, obviously your home church is a great place to do that, um, and the love offering is a great place to do that as well. And so Reagan, would you pray for our offering this morning as we prepare to hear the beautiful sound of children? Sure. God, we are thankful for this story in the way that it reminds us to expect things from you. To expect that you truly will show up, that you are there to meet with us, that you are in our midst. Help us to enter into that time um, and this season with joy. We pray that we would not forget that when we least expect it, joy can come. May these gifts today bring joy to other people, people that we don't know, people that we'll never meet, but that they are people that you dearly love. It's your name. Amen.